My guest today is Derek Kinney, host of the podcast Good Money with Derek Kinney. Derek is a financial advisor and author, and he talks with me today about his goal of changing people's mindsets about money. He is focused on helping people change their attitudes about money by encouraging people to not only like making it, but to also see it as necessary for helping others. In our conversation, we talk about the benefits of giving our money a purpose, which helps us to be more intentional about making a lot more of it and giving a lot more of it. On his podcast, Derek interviews the world's top professionals, authors, influencers, and business leaders for their practical money and business advice. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, and I'm confident you'll gain a lot of useful information from it as well. And now, here's Derek Kinney. Good morning, Derek. How are you? Great, Jenna. Great to be with you today. I'm so excited that you are here. I'm very excited about our conversation. Um, You are the host of the Good Money Podcast, and you are a financial advisor. And I found you just through Facebook. We were mutual friends somewhere along the line. And so- Yes, yes. You had some um, pretty interesting guests and I kind of got interested in your podcast um, and I thought, you know what, you'd be a great person to have on my podcast. So I just really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, So tell us just a little bit about uh, what it is, you know, what the podcast is about and kind of what your goal is with the podcast, because you have a very interesting (laughs) motivation for this. Yeah, well, first of all, it's great to be with you, Jen. I've heard great things about your show, and it's an honor to be with you today. So let me take you back. I I built a financial planning practice over the past 25 years and loved it. Loved helping people make money, loved helping people achieve their goals. It was such a meaningful process for me. And every year I do what I call a sabbatical where I go away for a week and I ask myself a couple of questions. How can I be a better husband, a better father, and a better business owner? And I make a list of things of what are my goals that I want to work on for the future. And surprisingly, as I looked at what my strengths were, what some of my goals were, being a financial advisor wasn't on that list. Mm. And so I realized, you know what, Derek, it's time to sell the practice that you have built up for 25 years. And I called my wife. I said, honey, are you sitting down? Here's what I think the direction we're going to go. And she was so encouraging. She said, Derek, let's just go ahead and do it. And so what I then did is began to write a book, launch the podcast. And the reason that I, I did this was in culture today, there's this emerging voice that's kind of swelling up right now that says, if you have money, you're bad. And certainly if you have too much money, you're really bad. And that a lot of people just feel like money is not good for them, that they may have grown up in an environment where, you know, what it's sort of the haves and the have nots. And so I launched the podcast, Jenna, to come really hard against that argument that says, if you have money, you're bad. And instead, what I believe is this, that money is good and good people should have more of it. And what that leads to then is how do we then put good to our money? And as we come out of COVID, and this really goes deeper to the question you asked, people are rethinking everything. They're rethinking their job, they're rethinking their relationships, they're rethinking their habits, and they're really rethinking their money. And I believe the timing of this cannot be better where people are asking, yeah, it's great to make money and I go to my job and have a paycheck and pay my mortgage, 
but is there more to that? Is there a way where I could feel like I'm actually making a difference in the world while I'm making a paycheck? And the answer to that is yes. That's what I'm digging into with our podcast. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I, you know, as I was listening to a couple of the episodes and kind of listening to a couple of your past guests, um, something struck me. I, so I'm, I'm a realtor. And so when I sell, when I go to somebody's house and, and we're selling a house, let's say that somebody's lived there for a really long time and they have tons of equity. And when they bought that house, that was $50,000. And now I'm telling them their house is worth $200,000. And they go, first of all, they're like, no, you're lying. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. That's exactly what's happening. The next thing is I hear, but I feel guilty selling it for that much. I shouldn't make that much money. I get that guilt of that. And I have to explain to them, part of the reason that you purchase real estate is as an investment. You happen to purchase an investment that has now made you quite a bit of money, but you have to remember, you put money into this investment, you just are, are getting the benefits of it, but you have to work through the guilt of the making of the money. And I think that for a lot of people that don't have large windfalls or maybe have had a very, you know, uh, straight line of income and haven't ever really had a job where they can make more than what they get paid. That is definitely a mental block. Would you agree? <laughs> oh, I, I would agree. And it's interesting because for many people, Jenna, that's a foreign thought in mm -hmm. the sense that who would say, well, who would say that money is bad? That makes no sense. But so part of our podcast is really examining debunking the people that say money is bad, but then helping other people understand that people do believe that money is bad. And to your point, which is so well said, a lot of people feel guilt, but then they don't know what to do with it. And here's an example I would give. Let's say that mom or dad uh, has worked hard all their lives and uh, they pass away and they leave an inheritance to their kids, which for most people, they'd say, that's great. I'm happy to have that. Well, what happens sometimes is the survivors or the beneficiaries have guilt because they don't know how mom or dad would have wanted them to spend their money. Now, you're going to have a few people, like back in the day, I would have people, my gosh, two days before mom's funeral, they were calling me, Derek, can I get the money to go buy that truck? And I was like, dude, you're way off base. You know, inheritances are, I call them pennies from heaven. Jen, and you always want to have something to show for it mm -hmm. and make the person proud that essentially bequeathed this hard-earned money to you. And I think what you're talking about, and I want to go deeper on that as well, is think about each of these investments as having a purpose. Mm -hmm. And for many people, just the act of, if I just made money, that's one thing. But when they say, look, I'm going to sell this house and I'm going to take a portion of my proceeds and I'm going to give it to a cause I am passionate about. You know, if I love houses, for example, I might say, I'm gonna take a percentage and give this to Habitat for Humanity, or I'm going to give it to this other nonprofit. So the goal is when you intertwine meaning to it, it changes the paradigm no longer to, I feel guilty about making money. Now it's like, I want to make money because I'm adding purpose to it. And what's funny about that is we find the people who do that actually make more money as they're giving more money it's a really cool mathematical problem yes i i i know that I, I hear the same message that you do from you know nationally and on social media about money being bad and um you know there's there's a lot very large population that 
and to go back to kind of what I said about, you know, we make salaries. This is what we make. Maybe it might go up a little bit, you know, and you ask for a raise. Um, and that money goes towards bills or necessities. And occasionally you might have a vacation or something that you enjoy. But I don't think that a lot of people live their lives with the idea of what would I do if I had more and how can I make more and, and open their minds to, to the possibility that they don't just get the same amount all the time. And I think that has to do with, you mentioned survivor earlier and you weren't mentioning it like this, but it's kind of a survivalist attitude. I do what I do to make the life that I have work and I'm not right. going to. And so getting over that mental hump of what if I did something else that could make me more money? What if I invested? I don't know how to do that. Or, um, you know, what if I, that is, I think the biggest thing. And I'm, I'm thinking that's what you're saying by your podcast is that mental attitude about it. Well, you're exactly right. And let me tell you a story, you know, here in Texas, as you know, just a few weeks ago, it seems like an eternity now, most of us had no power. We had no water. And within a matter of hours, Jenna, I felt like I was in the wilderness chopping down trees to provide for my family. And you go from this really uh, perspective of being very, very blessed and feeling like you have all of your needs met to now you're just in survival mode. And what it taught me is I didn't like that feeling, first of all, but then it taught me that I had a choice in terms of how I responded to that. I could just simply sit in my living room and cower and be cold and, and wonder what's going to happen, or I could begin to take action. And I realized a lot of people right now live their lives in that mentality all the time. Mm -hmm. And it really bothered me, and it gave me a sense of empathy because, A, they may have been brought up that way, or they think, well, money is for someone else, not for me. But then it made me realize that daily – even I have a choice to make. And that is, if I'm not putting myself out into the community, into the business world with the products and services that I have to offer, I'm not giving other people the chance to improve their lives. And therefore, if I don't do that, I'm not making money and I'm not helping them make money. And, and so the whole goal of this is a recognition in people's minds of their own monetary value that everybody listening right now could ask their friends, people who care about them, hey, what are some things that you see in me that are strengths that I have? And you'd be surprised what they would say. I think so, so many of us have this wall up that I only do this job. This is who I am. What this business card says is what I'm limited to in terms of my potential and impact to the world. And it's simply not the case, but it's easy to say that but it's hard to unwind all of that film that's been made of the movie of your life for all these years. Oh, I 100% agree. And to your point, I'll go back to, uh, was it J.B. Crumb? Uh, J.B. Crumb, yes. And he, what, he was talking about how he knew that he was, was going to be a millionaire at five, and he didn't realize until he was 42 or something that he was an entrepreneur, to put that label on it. Right? right. And um, he assumed that when he was five, that everyone in the world felt exactly the same way, that we were right. all going to be millionaires. And I started thinking about what I assume that everybody else in the world thinks because of how I feel about something. And I think that if you were to go through and, and really unpack that in your brain, all of us, 
we would find that there's some way that we think differently or that we have something that is different that other people don't have. And I, th I thought about this myself when I thought, what do I do really well? I talk to other people really well. So I'm like, I'll have a podcast because I enjoy interviewing people. It's something as simple as that to put those things together. And, but I don't know that people really take that moment and number one, think that they're that unique and that they're that special, which is a big problem to jump over. But number two, to understand that not everyone thinks the same way as you. And that's a good thing because that means that you have something to offer the world that they don't have. That's so true. And, you know, my friend Donald Miller wrote a book called Scary Close. Uh, he's a well-known author. And one of the concepts in his book he talks about that really impacted me was that so many of us walk around in our lives thinking that we are a nuisance to people, that we're inconveniencing people. But what if we shifted that and said, you know Guilty what? at times. <laughs> I think Aren't we all feel we that all? way. Yes, 100%. That's right. And what he said was instead shift your mindset to people like to be around me and I'm actually helping make people's lives better. Mm -hmm. And if we just adopted that mindset and it goes to our confidence, our self-esteem, because money is really just a byproduct of how we already feel inside. I mean, you've seen all those pictures about the iceberg when the Titanic hit it. And, you know, they saw the very tip of the iceberg. And then you look and there's this big iceberg underneath the water. And so much of our lives are like that, that all of those holdbacks, maybe it was a teacher back in school that said, you are not smart. Maybe it was a parent at the dinner table that said, we simply don't make money. That's for that other family to make. Or somebody said at the job, listen, you're only going to make minimum wage. That's really all you're making. Or if you don't have a college degree, you're not going to amount to anything. All of those are tapes that we bring into our heads. I interviewed a gentleman, uh, this will air in a couple of weeks, John Acuff. He wrote a book called Soundtracks. I think you'll love this interview with him, Jenna. What he talked about is that negative thoughts come freely to us, but positive thoughts require work on our part. And once I recognized that, and he talked about that, it shifted that, look, if we wanna have a positive mindset, which leads us to other opportunities, it's gonna take work. And are we willing to put in the real work to do it? Oh, that is so, so, so true. It's, um, you know, as you were talking and I was thinking to myself, it, it is about changing the messaging. It's about changing the messaging that we hear around us. It's about changing the messaging that's inside. And as you were talking, I was reminded of a conversation I had yesterday uh, with the owner of Bon Air, um, which is a local air conditioning company. Hmm. And uh, Martin is just a great guy. And he just recently purchased it, but we were talking about, learning a, a skilled trade because when he graduated high school back in the nineties, uh, he went to Lincoln tech, became an air conditioner technician, and then ended up owning the company. Now he's 41. And right. um, we were talking about how these kids in Green Prairie and they go to these, they go to um, this district where they can learn a trade and graduate high school, making a great deal of money. And I got to thinking about the minimum wage. And that's a big conversation lately is we're going to talk about minimum wage, minimum wage, minimum wage. But instead of going back and changing the messaging that I could learn something that could make me as much money as I wanted, instead of just focusing on changing this one thing to this other one thing, I can make, I can learn something that is a skill that could grow my wealth immediately. 
but we stay trapped in that limited attitude so often. And that becomes the messaging we tell ourselves. I'm only worth $15. I'm only worth $7. I'm only, you know, um, so I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting um, as we were talking yesterday that even, even to the point of changing our attitude that we can graduate high school and not, and, and make, do something that's going to immediately change our lives for the better in a very big way. I just, to your point, I was just kind of thinking of that limited mindset we have sometimes. Well, it's interesting because there's so much dialogue about minimum wage. Mm -hmm. And while I, I do believe that people should have opportunity, I think back to when I had my first job at age 15, it was 335 an hour. I thought oh. I hit the jackpot for goodness sakes. But what I would say to that is, and, and this is where, you know, depending on what side of the aisle people are on, you know, the government can be criticized for this. But what I don't want people to begin to do is begin to really love stimulus that's given to them. Mm -hmm. Now, are many people hurting right now? Yes. Do I understand where they're coming from? Yes. Do I know it's hard to put food on the table for many Americans? Yes. But I believe people should not be handed the crumbs off the table. Mm -hmm. I want them to have a seat at the table. And what that means is when you think about minimum wage, how can you add so much value to people that you're you're easily worth far more than the minimum wage? That's exactly In other right. words, if if you live a minimum wage life, then you're going to have minimum opportunities and you're going to make minimum money and you're going to have minimum relationships. And so all of this, even though my crux of the whole argument is that money is not bad, when you peel back those layers, we really find that people's belief system and how they look at things is what can change the course of their life. You know, one thing that we know is that the economy is made of two thirds of consumer spending. And so how people feel about the economy, how confident they are, how much they believe in the future determines our economy. And what I often talk about is there's so much news, Jenna, about the general economy. If I turn on the business channels and I hear about this is happening in the world or this, a lot of people blur that out and think, what does that mean to me? And so what I would ask people to do listening right now is ask yourself, what does this mean to my personal economy? What does it mean to my family, my job, my friends, my financial future? And when you distill it down to that level, it begins to make sense to people. It begins to take away some of the blur. Things get very, very clear and focused and people can then begin to make an action plan of, wow, so I've got this much in debt, I've got this much in assets. If I begin to make these small changes very deliberately, I can actually begin to make more money. I feel better about myself. And those are steps of making good money right there. Oh, I agree. And you're saying so many things that we, I'm sure we could probably talk all day long. So I'm trying to pick the pick the <laughs> points that are most efficient to our conversation. Um, so, you know, when you this is one of the reasons I started the podcast was we live in a society where everything is big. Everything is overwhelming. The national you know, news is on all the time. And I wanted people to start thinking, how does my local government impact my my life. Well, then I started thinking, does anybody know who their local government officials are? How many other percentage of the population? Then I got to thinking, how many people know how where their mortgage payment goes and their taxes? How does that incorporate? And so I got to thinking about all these things. And I said, you know, we can make this to where people can get as, as down to the 
to the to the local as possible because then when you get down to the local and you start learning about your uh, city, then you start learning about the nonprofits in your city, and then you start yes. learning about where you can fit into your city, and so it becomes that becomes the purpose. And it also when I when I talk to people about you know there's a reason why the government was set up and the tax code was set up to where it incentivizes giving to these people because these nonprofits that are local can do a lot more with the dollars that they're given than the government could ever do with the dollars that they're given. But if you know who those are, then now all of a sudden in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I want to donate to that. And now I'm starting to close in on this smaller sphere around me where I know where I can fit in. I know where I'm not overwhelmed. And you and, um, oh, the, the one who's talking about the power of who, um, and I can't remember the author's name, but y'all yeah, were talking Bob, about- Bob Bodine. Yes, y'all know every, you already know everybody you need to know. Yes. And I just couldn't help but think that's exactly right. And if we can get get the a smaller sphere to understand where you can fit in, I feel like people could could actually see where they could make a difference. Whereas if you're talking about the federal government, nobody knows how to make a difference with that. But you can right. make a difference in your local city. So I was just kind of just to expand on what you're talking about, just make it to where people can can get smaller with their intention, you know, and so that they can make a better impact, bigger impact. Now, one of my friends, Bob Goff, who I interviewed on the podcast, a well-renowned author, talked about if you want to change the world, start by walking across the street. Mm. And when he said that, Jenna, you know, all of these things are ways for us to examine our own thoughts. Because you think about when you hear the word change the world, it sounds so grandiose. I need to have Bezos or Elon Musk type money to make that kind of a dent. And so let me give your listeners just a couple of action steps. I'll tell you a story. A couple of years back, I had a client come in the office and this was a successful small business owner. And I could tell by his body language that something was off. You ever have that friendship where you can just tell that the person is, is off for some reason? And I, and I said, uh, Know, tell me what's going on. And we were chit-chatting. He said, you know, Derek, the business is going great, but I'm just not feeling all into it anymore. I'm not motivated. You know, my kids are running it. I go in a couple days a week, but I don't really feel a lot of satisfaction. And so as we were talking, the thought occurred to me and I said, you know, are there some causes or things that you really find interesting that you would like to give money to or support? And the question really caught him by surprise. He sat back and pondered for a moment. And then he said, you know, my family and I went on a trip overseas a couple years ago. And the, the, the part of the country they went to, there was a village there that really had a need for a school building to properly educate their kids. And these kids were just simply not getting educated. And they had said to themselves, it'd be neat to do something like that. But then they just kind of tucked it away and went on about their lives. Well, when I asked him that, it brought it all back. And he said, it'd be really cool if I could do something to build that school. And I said, what if you did this? What if you said over the next 12 months, you're going to set a goal to increase your business and a portion of that increase you're going to devote solely to that school? Well, his eyes got as big as saucers, Jenna, and he sat up. It was like he became younger the moment that he realized and what happened to fast forward that is a beautiful story. So three months later, he comes back in the office. He looks like a younger guy. He's more engaged, more zeal for life. And he says, Derek, you're not going to believe this. Our sales are already up 
and we've almost fully funded that school. And what it did was it reinvigorated him as a business owner, A, which is most important for any of us to have a job or a business that we love going to. But second, he found a way to connect profits to purpose. Mm -hmm. and, and what he did was he then actually made more money by giving more money. So that was story number one. Story number two is this, and this is where it's just good for business. So those people listening that are sole proprietors, have a small business, listen, people can buy a sandwich, they can buy a mutual fund, they can buy furniture from anybody. How will you stand out as a pillar in the community helping make people's lives better? And one way to do that, and it's worked for my business over the years dramatically is by saying, look, I'm either going to A, support local causes with my business, or when you become a client of mine, I will donate a portion of revenue that I receive to either a cause you get to select or one that we're passionate about. Well, what that does is if I'm interviewing, let's say five people, the person that does that will automatically, assuming that they're smart and talented and competent, you can't lose those things, but they're going to rise to the top because it's all in. Most people wanna be part of something bigger than themselves, even if it's just buying a sandwich or buying a piece of furniture, they wanna know that one purchase made a difference in the world. So those are practical ways where, look, we always talk about giving, and this is where I wanna dismiss this false belief, Jenna. So many people say just give, 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 and people feel like it's a lose, I lose for you to win. Mm. And that's the problem. See, the beauty of good money is we're actually pairing purpose with profits. We're putting meaning to money. We're look, go make money in a lot of it. And by giving more, you're going to be attracting more people who want to work with you. You're going to make more money. You can give more money. It's just this nice cycle that once people realize and recognize it, it really motivates them. And especially coming out of COVID right now, as we, as I like to call it, remake the world, you may not be able to remake the whole world, but you can impact somebody's world. Mm -hmm. And that's when you go home feeling satisfied at the end of each day. Oh, I agree. And as you were talking, I was thinking about Andrew Carnegie, uh, Carnegie, it's, I say Carnegie, and I think some other people might pronounce it Carnegie, but you know, it's weird that I would bring up somebody that was pretty well known as a robber baron back in the day, but he, in his book, in his, what did he write? It was the, um, uh, his, his writings on wealth and where he talks about not everyone has the talent to make a great deal of money. Not everybody has the talent to create a television or, you know, in his, to put it into common terms everybody has a talent and the benefit of everybody having a talent is that we can all we can all benefit off of someone else's so if i make a lot of money it's my responsibility to use that money for the good of of the society that i live in even that tele the person that created the television even if you'll never make a lot of money you can still have a television in your house and benefit from it and if you if we start to change that attitude that it's it's not about making money just for the just for the idea of making it it's to use it for the common good of everybody else and i hate i hate to say it that way because i don't want it to feel like it's forced i think a lot of it is if we if we have that voluntary attitude that we're going to do better for our community around us number one it makes you 
you feel like you have a lot more control over your money instead of it mandating it to go to somebody else. But number two, um, your, your attitude is much better and it makes you want to do it more. And the more that you give back, the better it feels. And then, the, and then it, especially in our local communities, you can see the impact of where your money actually goes. And that's a big one too, I think. I complete, I completely agree. And let's talk about control because it's interesting. One of the things that often holds people back from giving is their lack of control. You've often heard the term that charity begins at home. And so many people feel like, look, why would I support someone else? I'm barely making ends meet here. And what I find, and this is very counterintuitive, so hear me closely, when people decide, even if they have very minimal means, to think outside of their own problem, their own box of problems, and look at someone else's box and say, how can I help them? Suddenly an entire shift of thinking occurs. And it may sound very small, but it's actually very, very big. It's a big paradigm shift because now you take control of that pocket of money. If it's a dollar, five dollars, twenty dollars, because you're doing that, you're saying, I'm taking my hard-earned money, I'm giving it to somebody else. Now it changes how you think about money. You are the giver of a blessing to someone else. But also it allows people to not just feel like they're the victim anymore. Mm -hmm. And so much of this is a victim mentality that look, I've made bad decisions in the past. I really screwed that up. People have told me you're never going to amount to anything. What can I do? I'm already 45, 50, 60. There's nothing else I can do. I, again, would just ask people to press pause and then move over to the next button, which is their reset button and just press it really, really hard. Because the, the purpose of that is until you stopped breathing, you still have breath to make an impact. And that's what I would encourage people to do. And, and one thing too, Jenna, which is interesting, there's a lot of people that carry these self-defeating money beliefs and it goes like this. You know, I didn't make very good money decisions, so what could I possibly teach my kids? So picture this, mom or dad, feels like we either rented too long, we should have bought a house, we've got too much credit cards, we've, we've done some things that weren't good. And now, are our kids really gonna listen to us as we tell them and we see the same thing? Or are we gonna sit back and just say, well, I guess our family's just screwed up with money. The bottom line, and one of my guests, Kelsa Dickey told me this and it was so good. She said, Derek, just be curious together. If you can be upfront, with your family about, look, let's just have a family meeting. You know what, we've made a lot of money mistakes we're not really proud of, but we'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't share those mistakes with you. And they can learn from your mistakes and say, you know what, I wanna help you not make those mistakes. Let's be curious together and create a better financial future for you than mom and I had so that we can all do better together. JC, your, your guest, JC Crumb, actually, he said, <coughs> my mom, when I was little, used to tell me whenever I'd ask for a candy bar that um, we just didn't have any money for you to buy the candy, to get the candy bar. And I thought to myself, how often is the reason we give our kids for not having something that they want, that we don't have any money? And instead of we don't need a candy bar because you literally just ate lunch and you already had dessert, you know, all in, instead of explaining it in a different way. And I think that, I mean, I would assume that for people that are, um, you know, 
lower you know, socioeconomic status. I'm a single mother, you know, myself. So it's like, as a single mother, when you have limited funds, everything, you think of everything in terms of what you don't have in funds. Instead of changing the conversation with your kids, that there's reasons we don't have things, but it's not always because we don't have money. Sometimes it's not good for us. But I think kind of thinking about what you just said, having those conversations differently with our kids, because what are we telling our kids constantly when we say we don't have any money, we don't have any money, we don't have, it, it, it's limiting them and their attitude about money as opposed to something else. I think that's a really good point that you made about that. Um, and just changing that, that messaging and having those conversations with, with our kids, but also, you know, understanding what we don't know and being curious together is such a great point. Well, and it just makes sense because let me give you an example. When I come home from the office, which these days is upstairs and I walk downstairs uh, working from home, which I love. If I talk to my family about, you know, we go around the table, how was your day? And I say, Oh, I had a good day. My, my kids will give me a little bit of attention, but if I say, you know what, guys, I really screwed up today. Suddenly, they're all ears. Jenna, I, I couldn't pry them away from what's dad going to say? Dad screwed up. How, how good can this be? And what I think people miss out on is the power of the screw up. And you want to make sure that if you screwed up, you share that when it's appropriate with your kids, with your family, because number one, it humanizes you. So much of our lives are spent placing this aura around ourselves of this persona that we want to be. And a good friend of mine told me many years ago, he said, Derek, remember this, people like imperfect people better. And when he said that, ah, oh, it just caused relief to come over my whole body. Think about this. When you go to a friend's house and there's a couple dishes in the sink, maybe a pillow is not puffed exactly perfectly, do you feel more at home? And when you go and you feel like you're in a sterile environment, you know, that's, that's what we're talking about here is simply assess where you are right now with your money, good or bad. Just like if you go to the doctor for your yearly physical, an x-ray shows here's where you are right now. So that's the starting point. Either you've done well up to that point or you haven't, but you've got a choice to make going forward. And so I think for all of us right now, coming through COVID, living through this shared experience over the past year has caused all of us to have a deeper appreciation of each other. We may not always agree, but I think we realize people are more open with their feelings, their thoughts, their concerns. And this is a good time for a reset. Companies are thinking about how do they handle their employees? Do they work from home? Do they come to the office? How do we pay them? And it's a good time to say as a family, you know what, we wanna be a giving family. We're going to set aside $50 a month, $100 a month. We're going to have a family meeting together. And each month, we're going to talk as a family, how can we use this money to bless, maybe it's parents or a child in your class. Keep your antennas up and let us know what needs there are. Did so-and-so lose a job? Is there someone that needs help with their rent payment? And that way, you begin to foster a mentality of giving for your kids because ultimately, we want them to know early on, giving is the key. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make, Jen, is this. They often say, you know what? When I make money, that's when I'll give money. Mm -hmm. And all we know is that it's much like if you build an addition to a house and there's already a crack in the foundation, it just reveals more of the crack that's already there. 
more money simply only reveals what's already inside of us. It doesn't change us, it amplifies it. And so people today listening, just take, again, a small amount, but tie it to your business. Tie it to something where there's purpose, not just, I'm just going to give this money, but say, you know what, I'm going to set a goal for myself. Maybe once I, I spend more time with my kids or I grow my business or I get my degree or I do whatever it may be, a goal, then to reward myself and the world, I'm going to do this. It's a win-win all the way around. There's so many win-win opportunities that people are telling me about now as they're adopting this good many, I'm sorry, this good money mindset. Oh, yes, I, I that that's so true. And go back to your point about your kids. I, I thought about the other day, I uh, one of my classes I took for my broker's uh, education is uh, commercial real estate. And so I was sitting in there and it was all day long. It was like 5.30 or 8.30 to 5.30. And my daughter's in the fourth grade and they're learning about area and they're learning about formulas. And, you know, math, fourth grade math is not the easiest thing in the world, the master. And we were kind of talking about over the last few months about, you know, she's, she wasn't doing well. And I was like, let's try to figure out why are you, are you having trouble paying attention? Are you, are you having trouble listening? And she'd say, I'm just not good at math. That was number one, which I said, okay, let's talk about that. When we tell ourselves that we're bad at math, you're going to be bad at math because you've already excused yourself from even trying to be good at math. Right. Uh, right. But then also she, I said, do you listen in class? And I'm not going to be mad at you. If you say no, I just need to know the truth so that we know how to fix the problem. And she said, Sometimes it's really hard for me to pay attention. It's boring. Well, she's told herself that she's bad at math and now it's boring because she doesn't think she can be good at math. So it's all these things connected. So we're sitting there doing, you know, we're working on homework and I go into this commercial real estate class and we spend an hour and a half talking about what, how to calculate area and how to calculate square footage and how to calculate how much we charge people and how much money we make if we sell it. But it was all math. It was formulas, percentages. So I, they gave us uh, one of the things we did was there's this huge diagram. So she's she's you know finding the area of one little square, and there's this huge diagram with 50 rooms in it. And I come home and I say, Avery, I got to show you something. I said, you know how to, she you were asking the other day why this matters that you have to learn it. I want to show you this. This is what I did in class today. Yeah. And I said, and I'll tell you this. For an hour and a half, we talked about math, Avery, and it was boring. But I, I thought to myself, I tell her to listen and I'm going to be interested. And so I said, I learned from you how I can be better in my life. And I think that that's really important that we start to connect with kids, not only our mistakes, because I think that's a great point, but also how kids can practically grow up to learn the lessons that they're learning right now when it seems arbitrary and like there's not a reason, but also what they're teaching us in return because then it just shows them how to grow up to be purposeful in their thinking and i just got to thinking about that one of the things that i used to do when i would go to career day is i'd go teach, talk to fifth graders and they'd say how much money do you make and i said what are y'all studying in school right now and they'd say oh fractions and i said okay i make if i sell a house for this much i make three percent or two percent or whatever of this how much money do i make and they'd tell me and I'd say, is math important? And they'd say, well, yeah. And I'm like, if I don't know math, I can't figure out how much money I make. So right. I think it's just putting putting it to kids too so that they start to understand how it practically fits in. And even if you don't know, you, you still can teach them your own experiences in the meantime as parents. But we yes. don't always think about that purposefully. <laughs> I don't know if there's a question there, but it's more a statement on what you were talking about. 
Well, what I take from what you said, Jenna, is that there's there's lessons that we can give to our kids that make things practical. And uh, you know, I'll take an example. When people watch the news at night and they hear about, you know, President Biden did this or the Senate did this or Congress did this, all of those things can really be so big and people wonder, how does that connect to me? Mm-hmm. But when you can talk about you know, think about that friend you have in your class who you told me their mom or dad recently lost their job. Well, what do you think that means to their family then in terms of can they go out and go to, you know, the place they want to play uh, arcade games or putt-putt golf or eat out? Probably not, much like you get to do sometimes. So what could we do to help them in that situation? And then involve the son or daughter in helping brainstorm some practical ways. Our family, just pulling back the curtain a bit, you know, we love to send an anonymous cashier's check to somebody or drop $20 in a mailbox. All those things are easy to do, but it makes sense to kids. Oh, it certainly does. It certainly does. Um, uh, I think that that's, I think that's important. The other other thing I wanted to uh, touch on before we have to, I know we only have a couple more minutes. I think that people engage in money practices that they in concepts that they don't really understand they're engaging in until like kind of talking about you know how uh, uh, JV was talking about how he didn't realize he was an entrepreneur until he was 42. I was listening to a podcast. It was a rapper, and I can't remember who it is. He was talking about how he was raised in um, the projects, and he started to sell his dad. His dad had a candy shop, and his dad started sell- he started selling candy bars. And he was explaining how he would do this. And he was talking about money, but as he was explaining how he was selling candy bars and he knew how much he made off each candy bar and he knew that if he sold this through this other person, he would make a little bit more money because if you sold a lot at the same time, basically he was explaining um, exactly profit and losses, a profit and loss. He was explaining that, but he did not realize it. And I wanted to yell at him as he was talking. You are, you're talking about this. You just don't know. And I think if we can connect even to people, the concepts that they're already doing, I think sometimes that's an aha moment where they're like, oh, I do think that money is good. I just haven't had that internal dialogue in that way before. Right. You know, it's interesting because when I think about today, we think about Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, some of them had their net worths double during the pandemic. So it's no surprise that they are not immune to big criticism. When we have people losing their jobs and taking a really backseat financially to some people moving ahead financially. And as I think about this, you know, a person can choose to yell and scream and accuse and say, look, you have too much money. You need to share that money with the rest of us. That's one option, but again, that leads to a diminishing return, Mm -hmm. much like a stimulus package. Well-intended, but here's money. Once it's spent, the person is really back in the same boat in many cases. Again, that's where my heart breaks for them. So if we then press pause, press reset again, and say, what are some things that Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos have done or other successful people that I can then begin to do at the local level here. Mm -hmm. I can waste energy accusing, criticizing, or I can say, look in the mirror and say, Derek, what can you do to really begin to make your life better and those around you better? 
And that's what I'm choosing to do. And I want to educate people on, because listen, Bezos has faced trials. I mean, Amazon is a company, if my doorbell doesn't ring twice a day, it's a slow day at our house <laughs> because there's an Amazon truck, a FedEx truck. I mean, credit to him for building a service that gets us things so quickly. So I choose to say, hey, thanks for that. I'm going to use maybe what I buy from Amazon to go make more money. And, you know, I'll share a tip with you too. I mentioned this on a podcast recently episode that I did. When you buy a book, there's a game that I play where I, I buy a $20 book. And the game I play is, can I make at least 1000 or $2,000 out of the ideas from that book? Oh, what a great idea. Is, well, what I, what I like to do is, as I read the book, I actually tear the pages out of the book. And those are the pages that I will implement from that book. And I know this may sound like heresy, but I will then either throw the book away or put it on the shelf knowing I will never, ever open that book again because life gets in the way. But what I do is I will take the pages I tore out of that book and I will honor that author by taking their ideas and making money so I can then give more money. And I ask myself, as an author myself, would I be offended by that? Would I be offended that somebody tore stuff out of my book and threw it away? No, I would be proud that somebody took pages out of my book, that they took my ideas and implemented them and did what they wanted me to do. So all I would say is this, the ideas are out there, Jenna. Yeah. If you go to Barnes and Noble, you go to Amazon, the bookstore, money-making ideas are on the shelf. Just pick the lane that you're most comfortable in that line up with your gifts and talents. And that's really the first step to supercharging your ability to begin making good money. That is such a great point. And, you know, books aren't the, but it's the, not the book that has the value. It's the ideas in the book that have the value. So, yes. you know, that, and that's, a, that's such a great point. Um, well, Derek, I know you need to go, but I just really appreciate you being on today. I could talk to you for a lot longer, but I know, uh, <laughs> and, and I just, I love listening to your podcast and uh, where can people find it? Yeah. So on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, just look up good money. It's right there. You can also connect with us on Instagram at Derek, D-E-R-R-I-C-K. The letter T is in Tom, Kenny, K-I-N-N-E-Y. But definitely check out the podcast. Our goal is to help start a good money revolution where people make giving money the in thing. And I will put links up on this episode. And I just really appreciate it. Derek, have a wonderful day. Thanks, Jenna. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.